Maury Rose, the two-time winner, takes the lead from Faulkner. That's the way they finish the first lap. It's Schumacher! It's Schumacher! about it, stick it on and send him out. Well, this has blown it for Irvine, blown it for Ferrari. I don't know what's happened. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Matt is here to join me. We have plenty to review from Imola this weekend and just a little bit of news at the end. So a quick recap, top five, Max Verstappen gets his first win of the year. Lewis Hamilton battles back for second. Lando Norris rounded out the podium in third. Charles Leclerc was in fourth, and Carlos Sainz was in fifth. So before, Matt, we dive into everything that was, what did you think of Imola this year versus Imola last year? It was a lot of fun. That'll happen, too, when you get you know the conditions that we got, starting wet and then going to dry. That'll definitely make things a little crazier. But I think just as a whole, it was... Plenty of drama, kind of red flag that we'll talk about. And it was just kind of fun. You didn't really know what to expect. Um, don't really know where we want to start first, just because there was kind of a bunch to touch on. <laughs> I guess we'll start with lap one. Uh, Max started P3, Checo P2, and Lewis P1, and which I also thought was kind of funny, given that Lewis was very adamant that Red Bull would be faster all week. And then, of course, he got pole, which is typical yes uh and then going into turn one max got a great start in wet conditions and managed to snag the inside line going into turn one and lewis fought him hard max basically kind of put him off the track and lewis had to run over some of the sleeping policemen on the outside there with the the i don't know if they're quite sausage curbs but you know the yeah, rough the rough curbs. curbs on the outside, basically. So that damaged part of the floor. Uh, we saw a piece of debris come up, or I don't know if it was the front wing, or something was damaged because we saw a piece of debris come up. And Max went on his way, and Lewis was not very happy about it on the radio. So first, I guess we'll start there. Is Did you have any issue with how Max handled turn one? No, that was awesome. I He was aggressive. He held his line. I don't think he... Both drivers had somewhere to go, although eventually Lewis ran out of room, but it's not Max's job to you know, just slow down and let him back on the track. So I have no issue with, with how he started. He got a great start from third place, so I don't I don't see any issue with it. Nor do I. It was a it was a strong move. I don't think it was an unfair move. I think it was just kind of him trying to show Lewis that he's gonna be a thorn in his side all season so great job by max there and then it, it kind of you know we get some moments um latifi wrecked himself via mazepin on the first lap caused a safety car mick crashed under safety car let's let's set for the record straight here we are not blaming matt as much as we want to blame him as many times as we can he, this was his no no this one was no fault of his own no, it was Latifi being a clown. So 
uh, which is disappointing because he did have a good qualifying effort. But yes, this was no way Mazepin's fault as much as the internet wants it to be. Yeah, Mick crashed under safety car. Things were, you know, there was some dicey moments on and off. There, were, A couple of drivers were on uh, full wet. I think Pierre Gasly is one that suffered the most on that. Yeah, he got he got hosed. Well, yeah, I uh, would love to know the team's line of thinking on that one. I just it didn't seem like it was full wet conditions, but Vettel penalty for not having his tires on the car five minutes before race start. A thoughts on the rule. B are you any bit upset that they took twenty two laps into the race to announce that? Yeah, I don't know why it took twenty two laps to announce that. It's it's a little confusing, but I guess there's probably you know there's a lot going on, especially with the start of the race and and the early yellow flag and just you know there's there's I imagine a lot of commotion going on with with the weather. So I'll, I'll give that one like a I don't like it, but I could maybe see why it took a little bit of while just for everything to settle down race wise. To your second point, I, I I I am fine with the rule. I think they said it on the broadcast. It was either the broadcast or if you switch on F1 TV to the other camera angles, Jordan King, former IndyCar driver and former F2 driver, was actually talking with somebody else. I forget who it was. And they were saying that this all started years ago i think in the 70s when somebody was seriously injured because there was still equipment on the track you know with a minute and a half to go and they were all scrambling so you know now it's get your stuff done with five minutes to go and then it's you know nobody no equipment is allowed on the track so if that's the rule and 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 vettel broke the rule it, it is what it is this is a rule that's been around for probably longer than either of us have been alive so i it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. It's obviously not Seb's fault unless he was the one making the decision, but I doubt it. Right. He doesn't make any good decisions anyway. No, his decisions have been poor lately. Not much else to add, really. And then, yeah, then things got really crazy on lap 32, 33-ish. So Lewis and most of the field had now come in for dry tires and parts of the track were still wet. And so he's trying to follow Max through a, a bunch of lapped cars, and he guesses it wrong, slides off the track, tries to keep his momentum going, and hits the wall and breaks his front wing. And then it takes him a good 30 seconds to figure out how to get in reverse because it's not an easy task in these cars. Somehow, another observation I had this weekend is what kind of gravel do they use there? I swear no cars got stuck in the gravel like Latifi didn't. Checo didn't, Sonoda didn't, Lewis didn't. I mean, these, especially in the wet, these things are just supposed to get beached immediately, and you're just supposed to spin tires and, and just be toast. But man, they, all these guys got out. Maybe the rain actually helped, kind of make it harder and less gra- gravelly. I know that's like not scientific a- at all, but I see your point. Yeah, I was just like he's like reversing through, like it's no big deal. I'm like, you're supposed to be beached right now. Like, what the heck? <laughs> Another point I want to make on that is race control was listening into Lewis Hamilton and the team radio about him backing up on track, which could be considered unsafe return to track, but they were satisfied with 
the fact that there was nobody else around and that he did it in a safe manner. So there's a bunch of people saying Lewis should have been penalized for that. Like, relax. And then I have one more thing before we get to kind of talking about driver of the day and whatnot in that the one rule I hate. So obviously Lewis went a lap down. There was a couple other guys that were a lap down. I forget exactly who it was at that point. It might've been everybody uh, up to Lewis or up to around there. And because of the red flag, they just magically get their lap back. Like what, what on where where did we come up with this like the red flag and you know you and i discussed last year how the red flag you can just work on the cars and that's stupid this is like a whole nother level of stupidity like he just magically just passed everybody with nobody on track i just don't understand it at all well yeah i i don't understand that like he got so freaking lucky and i think it was imola last year too where we caught the safety car or not the safety car you caught a vsc just like perfectly and this time like good Gracious, goodness gracious, could you get any luckier with that? Breaks his front wing, takes like a minute and a half to get back to the track, and then, you know, it has to get back to the pits and replace his front wing, and all of a sudden now he's like P8 after red flag. I can't believe it. Is he like Scott Dixon, like where every break always goes Lewis's way? Maybe. It's it's insane. And then I also don't understand, did we get clarification as to why we didn't have a standing restart? There, so I, 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 I asked. The explanation I was given is, it's solely up to the discretion of race control if it's a standing start or not a standing start. So, AKA, there's no real answer. It's it's them making up the decision based on what they whatever they want to do, and I don't know. I would like to understand it more. Maybe you know, hey, if a red flag is. X number of minutes long, it turns from a rolling restart to a standing restart. But just some, again, F1 just needs to clarify things further so that there aren't all these questions and people being able to question them. Right. So I didn't like that either. So yeah, I think the red, between the, you can change your tires to whatever you want, fixing as much damage as you want, giving everybody a lap back and being able to decide slash not decide if there's a standing restart or not. I think the red flag rules should be scrutinized, especially if we're going to be doing it as often as we have been recently. Um, Red flags were not a a common occurrence back in the day, usually exclusively for really, really, really bad accidents. Talking like spa 98 or something where potential life-threatening injuries happening or uh, very bad weather. And it seems like we've been getting more and more nowadays. So if that's going to be a continuing trend, we we should uh, have a look at those rules. Now, the cause of the red flag, we will touch on in a second. Though I will say, to your point about Hamilton getting very lucky, did see a bunch of things online that said that George Russell and Valtteri Bottas are the ultimate wingmen. Because as soon as Lewis gets into trouble, they both wreck each other. And then Lewis's life is all back in order. Uh so that he can come back through the field. So that's that's the ultimate number two driver right there. Or they're at least auditioning to be Lewis's number two driver because that's a <laughs> that's a great move on their part if that was the intention there. And um, Valtteri was stuck in like P9 for all the race, and we'll get to the accident here in a second. So he was stuck in, in like P9, P10 area the whole race. Lewis restarts P9, 
I think, and it has no yeah. problems carving through the field. No issue at all. It was almost like a foregone like right when they right when he got his lap back, everybody's like, here he goes. He's gonna get a podium out of this. I don't want to turn this into Botas bashing hour. But is this just another case of just look at the difference? So if if you guys, you know, for, for anybody who maybe doesn't listen to the IndyCar side of things, I urge you to listen to at least the first segment of the interview episode we released this weekend where Alex Rossi made a great point that Lewis Hamilton in the first race, you know, he was battling a tough car and still pulled off a win and, and, and showed that it wasn't just all about the car and Valtteri Botas was nowhere to be found. And again, I think Alex Rossi and you and I are, are, are spot on. He just, he had a dismal qualifying a dismal race until you know what happened happened and i just i don't understand you know he keeps saying all this this is you know valtteri 2.0 valtteri 3.0 we must be on like valtteri 9.0 right now and it's still the same valtteri it's just really it's really frustrating to watch i'll get there in a second uh lando p3 so great job by him he wasn't able to hold off lewis for p2 unfortunately but uh, after uh, unfortunate penalty in qualifying, he uh, does come back for a P3. So great job by him. Uh, Ferraris did great, fourth and fifth. So really well done to them as well. Uh, I know we didn't really talk a whole lot about Lando after Bahrain, even though he had a really good performance there too. So he's off to a great start this season. So with all that being said, uh, before we recap our predictions, who was your driver of the day? Lando Norris. I, I think, like you said, he started sixth or seventh. I know he was right next to his teammate. I just don't remember which one was where. And on a you know, he that last stint, he ran a long stint on on soft tires, and that is ultimately you know did not help him hold off Lewis Hamilton at all. So he really he really just has had a good start to the year, and I think a you know a, a podium is is going to help catapult him for the rest of the year. But I think on a day where the track was tricky there was a, a lot going on a red flag changed to dry conditions halfway through ru- running on old used softs at the end of the race and still finishing p3 is a commendable performance i'm gonna give it to max i think uh he had a very good statement race especially since he didn't qualify on pole but he's still that was an unreal performance and changing conditions and whatnot and ended up winning by 22 seconds and was doing a good job of keeping Lewis behind him when he was battling with him. So uh, ultimately a, a really good performance and kind of as we've been predicting, setting up a championship battle here. And as I said, I think two weeks ago that they're going to clash at some point. Well, I don't know if we technically count turn one as a clash, but it was pretty darn close. So, I mean, they didn't obviously take each other out, but they're uh Probably putting that one in the memory bank for the rest of the races going forward. Who was your disappointment of the day? I'm going to take, and I'm sorry, I'm going to take Yuki Sonoda. He just had a rough weekend, and I know he's a rookie, but it's just every time he you, you thought he was turning the corner this weekend, he'd spin again or, or ultimately crash out, and he just it just just wasn't his weekend. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Checo. I thought, despite a great qualifying performance, it just. Uh, it didn't happen for him in the race, and I thought it was kind of poetic that he spun in the same manner as Albon did in the same corner last year. It was it was not his best day, especially since we saw what Max did. 
So recapping our predictions, uh, as far as do is going to do good, bad, Dark Horse top five, and our fifth Q1 driver. <laughs> so I had Danny Rick doing good. I don't think I can give myself that or give myself that one uh, since Lando outshone him again. Yeah, Danny finished P6 and just kind of had a quiet. I mean, race. it was a fine performance, but it wasn't good. You had Leclerc P4. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I'll take it. I had, as far as doing bad, I had Sonoda. Thank you. You had Vettel. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Dark Horse top five. I had Signs. Give right. me that. Yeah, I'll take that straight to the bank. And you had Stroll, who maybe did not finish in the top five, but he is certainly still proving himself to be much more up to speed than Vettel. And then yep. our fifth Q1 driver which was kind of a sham this week since both Williams got out. So <laughs> we were more spoiled for choice than normal. I had Ocon, who did not go out in Q1, and you had Sonoda, who was last. I hope you're happy with yourself on that one. You probably did that to the poor kid. Listen, let's let's just say it's a very strange week of predictions, being that both on the IndyCar side and now the F1 side, my predictions weren't really that bad. Well... I know that's going to change. I know that's going to change. Stop. It's fine. All right. Well, now to the segment I want to talk about, which is the George Russell Valtteri Botas crash. A lot of quotes in front of me here. I'm going to try to paraphrase some of these for you guys. Uh, So what happened coming down the straight, which at Imola is not a straight. It is kind of like one long gradual curve. Battling for P9, Russell had DRS on Botas. Uh, They both had slick tires on. And as they approached turn one, Russell was going to go to the right side of the track. And for this chicane, that would have set him up for the second part of the chicane to have the inside line. So that's kind of the preferred method there. And Botas is on the left side of the track. And as Russell went to make this move at probably like towards the highest speed portion of this straight, Botas ever so slightly moves to the right. And so George has to account for that and puts a wheel onto the damp part of the track, loses control, hits Botas, and they both go creaming off into the wall. Before I get to the quotes, the crash damage was significant. Thankfully, everybody was okay. Russell comes to Botas's car and slaps him in the helmet, and I'm sure says some words I've heard on Top Gear before towards him. And Botas gives him the bird. And the crash damage was significant enough to... I mean, Williams is Williams are not really going to be someone we focus on too much this year, but the crash damage is so significant to Botas's car. It was almost a near write-off and that may impact future upgrades for Mercedes. So a want to get your thoughts on the crash and B there's levels to this between the upgrade part of it, between the fact that we obviously know Russell wants Botas's seat We'll get to talking about Total Wolf here in a second. There's a lot of political ramifications. I can only imagine what Drive to Survive and the producers at the track were thinking <laughs> after watching this crash. I hope they hoofed it down the track as much as they could and found Toto or Williams or whoever, and or maybe they sent somebody to New York City for Doralton Capital to, to get a quick statement. But 
man, where, where do you even start on this one? First off, your upgrade point. Yeah, it's a great point because with the, the cost cap this year, you only have X amount of money to put into upgrades. And now does some of this money for upgrades have to be diverted into, I mean, essentially a, a new car, a new chassis, pretty much new everything. I don't know about an engine, but definitely a new gearbox. I mean, that car was shredded to bits for the most part. So yes, thankfully everybody was completely okay and you know the worst that came out of it was a a middle finger and a slap to the helmet which always cracks me up when when people like slap helmets or you know fight with football helmets on like just give them the finger back it's just it's a lot more fun that way but the actual crash there's 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 two sides to it there's the side that you go Botas should never be in P8 or P9 in a Mercedes when his teammate at the time was, he was second at the time, right? Give or, give or take, second or Who's third. Botas? Lewis. Oh, no, where, yeah. so Lewis had just crashed. So he okay, was, but he second. was in second. Yeah, yeah, he was second prior to crashing. And then his race is ruined until this collision in turn one. Yeah. So. The, there shouldn't be that much disparity between easily the top two cars in, in the field. At the same time, Russell definitely went full send. And there you know, it was at a, a point in the track where the the lane goes from bigger to smaller. So he, he got, ran out of room and, and Botas definitely he did, he did shade over a right to a little bit, but. I don't I don't know if I would necessarily put the blame on one versus the other i think both made mistakes in the in the actual accident ignoring the fact that botas should have never been in p9 to begin with uh i i i think both made mistakes and at least russell has spoken about it since then i don't want to spoil it if you're going to talk about that i don't know if botas has at all probably he's probably in his stupid sauna back in finland right now so For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Well, uh, we'll see about that. I'm sure he'll just he'll just go, oh, Valtteri Botas 10.0 coming in Portimao. I think the angle that I think was the most telling was Raikkonen's onboard because from Botas is on board. It doesn't look like he did really did anything. From Russell's on board, it, it it's hard to tell. 
I mean, you can obviously see Botas's car move, but to like what effect? But then when you look at Raikkonen, it's like, oh, okay, he did kind of move over a little bit on him. And I'd say it's like 60-40 on Valtteri. I think they both were at fault. I think George could have read the circumstances a little better and tried to lift. I don't think that he should have just lifted because he's a Mercedes driver, as Toto was suggesting. I think that's wrong. I think Russell should fight for the position that's in front of him, unless it's maybe Latifi and Latifi's on a different strategy and there's team orders in play. But if it's, you know, Alfa Romeo versus Ferrari, if it's Alfa Tauri versus Red Bull, it shouldn't matter. If there's a position in front of you to take, take it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to highlight some of the quotes, and I think my favorite, we'll start with George Russell was, he said, quote, I'm fighting for P9. A P9 for him is absolutely nothing, almost meaningless. He did a move that you would do if you were fighting for victory on the last lap of the race. It begs the question why he would do that for P9. Perhaps it was another driver he wouldn't have. So that's what went through my head. And then he goes on to say that he wasn't all to blame. He also goes on to say that he's not worried about his relationship with Mercedes. He's already spoken to him about it. Since these quotes came out, he has issued apologies, um, which I don't like personally. I hate, I mean, it, if, you're like, if he's like Will Power who shoves a safety official after getting out of the car in Fontana 2015, that's something that war- warrants an apology. If you use really insensitive language or anything like that or demean someone really, really poorly... I think that deserves an apology. If he's just saying that Botas shouldn't be fighting for P9 and that he was an idiot, <sighs> stick with him, man. Like, I don't think anybody's going to be mad at you other than maybe the bosses at Mercedes, which I know they carry a large opinion, but I think emotion is good, and I think people like that. Botas uh, really didn't have a whole lot to say. He said he was just defending it like he was normal. He said he was just doing my own thing. He said he knew the track was damp. He was doing his job to defend. He was he was kind of just very Valtteri like, kind of calm and didn't really say a whole lot. Uh, Toto is getting. I feel like Toto's getting a little more spicy over the years though, because he said uh, he commented on Russell's theory that Botas was racing him differently because he knows it's George Russell who's after his seat. He said that's quote bull excrement, but he didn't say that. And yes. yeah, he said the whole situation should never have happened. Valtteri had a bad first stint for 30 laps and should never have been in that position. But George should never have launched into that maneuver considering that the track was drying up. It meant risking and risking our and the other car in front of him that was a Mercedes. So that's where he loses me again. Like I said, it shouldn't matter that George is racing a Mercedes. And it should also be very alarming that George is racing a Mercedes. Because that means that Mercedes has had to have something go tragically wrong in the race for that to happen. So, based on all the quotes, you know, like I said, George has apologized. Where are we now today, Tuesday, post-Russell Botas crash? What what do we think this dynamic is going to be going forward? I think it's going to be spicy. I think it's going to be something that Drive to Survive is probably going to play up a, a little bit, but I think there's there's clearly no love lost now. And if George is in a position to fight with Botas, which, like you said, should not happen, I, I think they are going to you know, push each other a little bit more and 
you might see Fotos make a mistake. You might see Russell make a mistake. But I think the pressure now is fully on Botas because he had a bad race and Russell's quotes kind of paint Botas as barely a number two driver, essentially saying he's got no business being down in P9 and, and it's meaning you know, P9 for a Mercedes is meaningless. And the, the pressure's on Botas for Portimao in, in two weeks, not just to have a good race, but to have a, you know, a top two, a top three race at, at the worst. So I'm 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 cool with Russell's apology like you. I don't I don't necessarily love the fact that he had to apologize, but or he didn't have to apologize that he did. But I respect what he said. And listen, he's with Williams. Nobody's that nobody's expecting a lot from him now. But the pressure has increased tenfold on Botas. Yeah, I I, it, I just don't see a situation where Botas returns next year unless Mercedes is just really content with not rocking the boat. But next year, we don't know Mercedes is not going to be the best team with all these regulations changing. Um, we don't even know if they're going to win the Constructors' Championship now if they really can't upgrade the car to the the degree that they were going to because of this damage. So if I were them, I'd want to have the strongest lineup going into 2022 that I could have. And right now, Valderi, Valtteri Botas is nowhere near my driver lineup, if that's what my expectations are. If they're just looking to make sure we don't have another Rosberg-Hamilton situation and they just want to keep everything friendly, then sure, go ahead. Like if that If that's really what you want to do, fine. So, yeah, we will obviously be following that for the rest of the season. Two more items to go before we sign off. Aston Martin is considering legal action against the FIA and Formula One. Take it away, Mike. Uh, Well, I think this might be Omar. I I think you predicted him as the first executive to potentially get fired this year. You're looking pretty damn good right now because... I I mean, when when you're saying we're going to sue the FIA over rule changes that were announced give or take a year ago what what legal and i think we might have mentioned this this last week but you know a, a there are groups in place that review these and you know rules you know the fia the the teams themselves etc and i just don't understand what they are what they are suing obviously you know we saw ferrari penalized last year for a actual legal issue so i'm I just, you know, the regulations are the same for everybody. It's not like Aston Martin is the only team penalized because of their their issues last year. It is what it is. You have to learn to adapt to the rules just like every other team has. Or, well, Haas is just kind of not worrying about it. So I just, I don't understand it at all other than the fact that He's trying to do whatever he can to save his job because his team kind of sucks right now. Yeah, I think the time to no, I think the time to make lawsuits and stuff was months ago, months ago, or whatever when whenever this was announced because this is yeah, this is not a good look. This is kind of like crying foul because your team is last or whatever. I mean, obviously they're not last, but. The rules were announced, thank you for bringing that up, on May 
27 they were voted on by the wmsc i'm guessing some sort of world motorsport council they were confirmed to uh, on may 27th of 2020 so that was 7 10 11 months ago oh yeah 11 months ago almost 11 months ago 10 months and three weeks ago so yeah you, you kind of missed the boat on that one omar yeah, there's there's a time to sue, and it's not now. This is uh, find a solution or pack it in for next year, and just hope Lauren Stroll doesn't fire you. But it doesn't look good for the brand when you just start suing people because you suck. So, guess that's all I got to say about that. Finally, let's say let me bring uh, this as F one to Miami for nine years confirmed. Oh, lots well, unfortunate. Isn't it? Isn't it ten years? 10 or 9 it's it's a it's a long time i thought i read till 2032 i mean either way that's a long contract to like be right off the bat before you then again 2032 is 10 years (laughs) or is that 11 i can't even does it i I don't know how to math doing math with years sometimes throws me off we talk we talk about racing we don't do math yeah, you have to like add an extra one. So Miami is basically going to be running uh, an F one race for fifty years or something, after the city council voted on it as such. So it's going to be around Hard Rock Stadium, which is where the Miami Dolphins play, and I think the U, I think the Hurricanes play there too. We do have another American Grand Prix. It is yet to be determined, though. It sounds like the FIA and Liberty Media want to have two races in America, but they wordage around Coda doesn't sound very positive as far as the future at Coda. They don't. It doesn't seem like they're very impressed with Austin as being like a racing hub, which is strange because I could think of a city that is a great racing hub and can produce an excellent race and has the facilities already up for a race. Speaking from somebody who's been to Austin, the track is amazing. The city is a lot of fun. The only issue, and I don't know if this is, I mean, it's not an issue to me, but the track is literally in the middle of nowhere and it's like 25 minutes outside the city. So if you have it in Miami, it's like a big party atmosphere right in the city. If that's the vibe they're trying to go for, I can see it from that point. But also I know a bunch of, uh, Circuit of the Americas people have lost their jobs and and gotten new jobs. Even some people who are relatively high up in the in the the company behind Circuit of the Americas. So maybe F one is just kind of looking at that and going, "Oof, that this isn't looking good. Maybe we should have a backup plan in place." So yeah, I there there is some concerning factors behind Coda that that are kind of not readily apparent in the news right now. Yes, and Indianapolis, come on, let's go, let's get that race. So yeah, I saw a layout. Let's from, make that race number two. I saw a layout for Miami. Looks okay. It'll look different when we get like a simulated virtual onboard lap. I just guess I'm a little concerned about if there's going to be mass runoff. I hope not, but we will see. I am excited for the foothold in America because that should help the audience grow, kind of maybe help us interact with more fans online and maybe get more people to tune into the podcast because we love, you know, having the support that we get and we appreciate everybody who listens to our show and F1. It's looking, uh, man, I don't know what it is. Ever since I've started watching intently, which was last year, 
it has been pretty good entertainment. Even some of the races that are a little stale, there are still just there's just layers to Formula One that you could just not imagine until you kind of like pay attention and do a deep dive into everything. There's just there's just a lot that you can talk about with Formula One, and it's great. Yeah, we picked a good time to uh, to decide to expand the show. Yeah. Well, Whose idea was that? I remember telling you I wanted to live tweet the first race of the year last year. And you probably then came in and said we should do an episode about it. I don't remember no, the exact No, I'm pretty sure it was your idea. I was setting you up so you could high five oh. yourself. Oh, I, I don't. Uh, yay me. Yeah, It was not uh, my gonna... idea if that's what you're asking. Okay. Wow. I don't remember that, but I'll, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to not take the credit. <laughs> I'm going to pat myself on the back because it's been a long day. So anyway, guys, thank you for listening. Thanks for watching the live stream and, and commenting Sunday morning. We will of course do another one of those before Portimao in, well, just a little over a week by the time you, you listen to this on Friday or, or over the weekend. So Stay tuned for that, and we'll be back next week to preview Portimao and make fun of Aston Martin and Haas some more and whatever else we can drum up with the next week. We skipped story time this week. Unfortunately, he just didn't tweet anything worth talking about in the, in the last week. But enjoy the weekend, guys, and we'll, we will be back to talk more racing next week. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.